0: Welcome to the Working on Wellbeing podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Cunningham, and I am passionate about the science behind how we can all work on our well-being. That's how I came to lead the World Wellbeing Movement, a non-profit social impact organisation housed within the University of Oxford's Wellbeing Research Centre. In short, our mission is to improve the quality of life of people across the world by connecting well-being experts with those people who can make the biggest impact, so with business leaders and policymakers. And through my work, I get to meet the most incredible people. That's why we've created this podcast so that you can be a fly on the wall during my conversations with the world's leading wellbeing experts. In today's episode, we'll hear what impact moving to a four-day week can have on both businesses and employees alike. I'm delighted to welcome today's guests, Charlotte Lockhart and Andrew Barnes, co-founders of 4-Day Week Global which is also a founding member of the World Wellbeing Movement. And Charlotte, you're also the managing director of 4 Day Week Global. And Andrew, you're also an entrepreneur who has earned the title architect of the 4 Day Week. (laughs) So I'm going to be going to you in a couple of minutes to find out how you earned that title. But before I do, maybe let's start with the 5 Day Week. And Charlotte, Could you tell me, because my understanding is that the five-day week itself is about
1: 100 years old. Is that right? Can you tell me a bit about the origin? Yes. Well, well, Henry Ford is attributed to establishing the five-day week. Um, He uh, was busy making cars and realised that people didn't have time to drive them. So if he gave his people a five-day week, then they would be able to buy the cars that they were manufacturing. And so the weekend grew out of that time. But as a as, as a functional part of our society, it really is post-Second World War, uh, was when we, we started really having a weekend and our society started to frame itself around that. And countries started uh, enacting legislation for a 40-hour work week.
0: Okay, now that's really helpful. So Henry Ford would have been, I guess, the architect of the five day week, (laughs) which brings us to you, Andrew. Tell us, how did you earn the title architect of the four day week?
2: Well, I feel a little bit of a fraud, frankly, (laughs) um, because I was trying to answer a totally different question. I was trying to work out. uh, I'd read this research that said people are only productive for three hours a day. And I thought, why is that happening in my company? And what would happen if I changed the work paradigm? Say to people, if I gave you an extra day off a week, would you do things differently so that I could get the same level of productivity? So that's what I was trying to do. Forget work-life balance, forget well-being. It was all about how do I make my company more efficient? So we, back in 2018, I announced to my team, so we're going to try this. I have no idea how it's going to work. And we ran a six-week trial. We ran research alongside of it. And what we found, of course, was that not only did productivity go up, but then all the well-being scores went up extraordinarily to levels which researchers said were the highest they'd ever seen. And that's really where it all began, isn't it? It's where we started to, the phone started to ring off the hook. We stopped counting at 14,000 media stories because suddenly we realised everybody in the world is looking to work less and to be better in their lives.
0: Uh, it's so interesting. So, so that was in in your own financial services company in in New Zealand that you ran that experiment, and I guess the success of that made both of you decide right. Let's let's go bigger. Let's create the four day week global movement. Um, and, and pilot this in different companies across the world. Is that sort of how things progress? Well, I, I mean,
1: I actually credit Jan Emanuel deneve from um, from the World Wellbeing Movement um, but and, and Oxford University because one of the things that happened was we had a whole pile of people want to talk to us, and he was one of them. And it was his enthusiasm about the research that we had done that made us realise that it actually was quite significant. So we had all this media, which is lovely. Media are lovely. Um, but it was the, the, the depth of excitement from from Jan Emanuel.
2: So Charlotte and I were <clears> doing <throat> the Peking Paris car rally in 2019. And we're in the middle of Siberia. And the phone rings. And they said, where are you? And we said, well, God knows where. Heading for Novosibirsk in the middle of Siberia. Phone now They rang back and said, there will be television crews from Moscow flying in to meet you. And we arrived late. We'd blown the (laughs) clutch. I was covered in oil from head to foot. We did three interviews back to back. And then as we left Russia two weeks later, they started talking about enacting legislation. Now, I think that was the point Mm. where you suddenly sit there and say, actually, this is bigger than what we thought. You only get one chance to change the world. This is our chance to change the world. And from that, Mm. Four Day Week Global was born.
1: And we so and we set four day week global up really just as as a place to house these conversations, and and then over then, then we had a pandemic which was interesting and of course, but as you know everybody knows the pandemic has completely changed our view on how we will work, but it's also put um, our mental health at work at the forefront as well. And so we have now morphed into this organisation that does research on the benefits of reducing work time, so not just four-day week, but reduced work time. Um, We we support lots of governments and and regional, national and regional governments in terms of running pilot programmes with that. Um, And then we we obviously support businesses um, to to run pilot programmes and get it, um, as the Irish campaign call it, hashtag better for everyone. I love that. Hashtag better for everyone. Well, I'm going to ask you why, because I I
0: think what's wonderful about the approach you've taken is that you have run pilots right across the world, because we all know there are cultural differences. So my understanding is you've run pilots in in Ireland, UK, US, uh, South Africa, Portugal, Brazil, uh, Australia, New Zealand. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yes. North America, Canada. Yeah. Which is incredible. Really Mm -hmm. incredible. And I guess there'll be business leaders listening. And the biggest question they're going to have is, look, if I were to switch my business next week to a four-day week, what's the single biggest impact that that would have on my business? Right. Well,
2: your company will be better. I mean, I'm <laughs> going to go right out on a limb here. You know, if you have a healthier, happier, more engaged, more committed, more collegiate workforce, they're going to be less productive, aren't they? No. not <laughs> it's not that hard this is about starting to think about in the days when henry ford did the five day week it was repetitive manufacturing industry now in the fourth industrial revolution your know, creative age what we actually need to do is to be thinking about how do we make this work better and to make that work better you you have to think about human capital just as you would used to think about maintaining a machine. How does that human work better? Well, it works better with breaks. It works better if it's committed. It works better if it's been empowered to do things differently. So it's not rocket science. We all know about this. It's just that we've all been conditioned as leaders to think, one, we know all the answers. We don't. And two, that working longer equates working to working harder and what we're talking about mm. is working smarter
0: can i pick up on that because i think it's a really interesting point you make of course you know we're, we are seeing an increase in burnout right there's um, a lot of recent research from mckinsey health institute also from deloitte talking about actually the cost of absenteeism due to burnout and mental health challenges uh, if i recall correctly deloitte Um, quantified that as costing in the UK alone, costing employers £56 billion per year. Mm. So we know there's an issue. And you talked about how the nature of work has changed since the time of Henry Ford. And I read somewhere that we're about seven times more productive, but that comes at a cost because we have a much heavier cognitive load. And I guess that's why we need those regular breaks that you're talking about. So I do want to clarify one thing in terms of how the four-day week works. Um, So this is not about getting paid for four days, right? I believe you have a principle called 100 100 Could you explain that a bit, Charlotte? Yes,
1: so um, we are very adamant that it is 100% pay, 80% time, with 100% productivity. And the interesting thing about that formula is as, as much as we call ourselves four-day week global, we're really not talking about a three-day weekend. We're, we're talking about how you reduce work time Um, and it might not be that you are reducing work time from a 50-hour week or a 60-hour week. Um, You know, a lot of uh, people out there listening will be going, but, you know, we work 50, 60, 70 hours a week, and it's about recognising that the amount that we are working now isn't actually holding our society together anymore, and burnout is is, is the phrase that we use to describe that, And, you know, I'm I'm a Gen X. um, We Gen Xs and baby boomers, we invented burnout. But the modern workplace needs to understand that the millennials and the Gen Zs that are coming in, they want a very different workplace. They are our children and they watched us burn out and they don't want to have any of that. And they have invented Quietly Quitting and The Great Resignation. Although it's not that these things didn't exist before, it's just that they've named it. And so as a society, as humans, we always want our children to have better than we did. And in the past, that's always been better food, better housing, better education. But all that's led to in the 21st century is more, more housing, more food. Hello, obesity epidemic. Um, and, and our children, the only thing they want more of is time. And they know that they can be effective in the workplace they want to be productive because they want—we know this—they want meaningful work. They want what they do at work to matter. So they're not—they're not being lazy. They're just recognizing that it's unsustainable. Just as they as that generation have led the the, the, the climate change movement as well, they've realised the way we live is unsustainable for the environment. But they're they are now transposing that into the workplace, and we should be very proud of them and encourage them in every single way we can. I, gosh, I couldn't agree more.
0: I, I really couldn't agree more. Um, and I think listening to you, particularly the impacts on individuals' well-being, is is so clear. Um, one of the challenges, of course, that you know CFOs will face is you know we're in a period of sort of inflation and little bit of stock market turbulence and, and and ultimately they need to look at the bottom line. So if a CFO is looking at going right should should we can we afford to move to this model where we're paying people the same but we're asking them to work 4 days instead of 5. Um, how is it how have you seen this impact through your pilots on Productivity on bottom line revenue, those kind of metrics. Well, I mean, this is
2: really the role I play in the organisation. I'm the bar humbug person. But at the end of the day, when we implemented the trial at Perpetual Guardian, if it had gone wrong, it hit my back pocket. I was the principal shareholder. So I'm absolutely focused on what are the outputs from a business perspective of this. Well, the reality is, the 180 hundred isn't the 180. It's the 180, 120. Productivity is going up as a consequence of this. One of the great examples was uh, Microsoft Japan did this, you know, and they just cut down meeting times, no more than five people in a meeting, uh, no meeting longer than half an hour, use Microsoft Teams and got a 39.9% improvement in productivity. But it doesn't stop there. What you find is that your sick day is half. Now, that's not just... So that's playing to the Deloitte analysis of how many sick days there are in the UK. So your sick days are halving. But equally, because the sick day is an unplanned day, its impact on the business is far higher than a planned day off. What you're also finding is that you can recruit people. So you're seeing, in some cases, some companies saw a 200% increase in the number of people applying. Now, we're the dullest company in New Zealand, right? We do death. We're a trust company. Nobody wakes up in the morning and goes, you know what, I wanna work for a trust company. But we introduced the four day week and that said something about our organization. So suddenly our talent pool is improving. Again, I'm going out on a limb. You get more talented, more committed people. They're going to be more productive. So the bottom line is this is the most rational, sensible business strategy you can ever do. The only reason a CFO doesn't believe it is because I'm saying you can be more productive by working less.
1: And I I think, you know, as we go into these these harder financial times and, you know, whether we're going to have a recession or not, it's, you know, obviously is yet to be seen, but this is the time to be focusing in on your productivity. And so if, if you um, come in as, as an employer and you say to your people, look, I've got these consultants in because we want to do time emotion and, and blah, blah, blah. We, we want you all to be more productive. All that your people hear is you want me to do more with less and redundancies are on the way. But if you say to your people, hey guys, here's a really crazy idea. If we can make the business more productive, you can go home. Then people go, okay, I can get behind that story. I can work out how to do that. Because of course Parkinson's law says that work expands to the amount of time that we make available for it. And so then when people apply their minds, no matter what industry they are in, mm. to actually, so this is, so one of the biggest pieces of advice is you cannot do this from the top. This is not a C-suite exercise. This is a bottom up process. And when you, when people apply their minds to how they're going to do their jobs in less time, there are things that they know, mm. and but there are also things that they don't know. You know, and I love the story, that uh, there's a classic story that came out of Perpetual Guardian where we had, we had two offices that only had two people in them mm. and they were in reasonably geographically far away place from each other. But what they did was, and this is prior to the pandemic, before we went all digital, uh, they actually connected up digitally so that they could do, this, do the four-day week or, or reduced hour working. So therefore their customer base went from having two people at any one time, possibly down to one, when someone's sick or on leave mm. it's one, And they went to a pool of four people. So therefore, they were always able to have one senior and one junior available. So actually, the client service went up. So businesses find these ways. Now, management didn't think of that. Nobody thought of it before. We made time the scarce resource. And so I think that's one of the things that we need to be very mindful of.
2: And I think the other side of this is the question we always get asked. So the CFOs will look at us or the CEOs will look at us and say, well, how do you measure productivity? So what are they actually saying there? What they're saying is we don't measure productivity. We're using time as a surrogate for productivity. And it comes up time and time again. And what we're saying is part of this is focusing on output, not time. Because what we're doing is we're saying rethink your company. Once you break the nexus of a nine to five, five days a week, it's very liberating. You can rethink how you shape your business, when your opening hours are, how you staff it. And you basically recreate the company using the power of your people to rethink how they deliver the service. Because the key determinants are productivity has to be at least the same and customer service cannot go
0: down with this podcast one of the things that we want for listeners is every episode listeners will get actionable tips that they can quickly put into action and you've already both shared two which i think are great you know one was the thinking more carefully about how you know four people instead of two people can you know effectively cover around the clock um another was your point about shorter meetings. Uh, that's a big one for me is, do we really need to invite 10 people to this meeting? And does this meeting really need to be a full hour? Are there other sort of seemingly small, but actually really beneficial, actionable tips that you've you've encountered
1: during your pilots? Look, I think the, the, the key thing is to understand that how it's going to work for your business needs to be Established by your people, so we have two pieces of advice. It can't be done from the C-suite, but it's also don't overthink it. So the 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 number of uh, organisations that have uh, well, actually, there's not many of them, but certainly there's one particular one where uh, they were going to do this and they didn't end up doing it because they needed to solve all of the problems around how they were going to have a successful four-day week before they even ran the pilot. So the biggest tip is actually design a pilot for yourselves, and we can help with that, and we've got resources on our website as well. But what you need to do is try it. And what the C-suite's commitment is Look, we, we think that this is a good idea. We think it's, it's it's a great way. The number one reason why business leaders do it now is to attract and retain the best staff. You can't compete on price anymore. The staff are asking for these types of things. And so th- that's the C-suite's job. Go, look, we're interested, in it, but all you all you're committing to is actually running a pilot. Yeah. You don't have to commit to it being a permanent thing. You can just... Say, we always want to run a pilot. We just want to see how we can make this work. And then let your people come up with the innovation. And your job from the C-suite is to resource them properly. Now, that might be technology or equipment or anything, but in the main part, it's resourcing them by empowering them. And it's giving them the, 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 the authority and autonomy to do it, but also maybe giving them some additional training
2: it certainly shines a spotlight on your leadership team but one of the other key things very simple things you have to walk the talk how many organizations you know say we'll we'll do flexible working but there's somebody in the line of management that doesn't agree with it the only people in our company who were obligated to do the four-day week was the senior leadership team they had to walk the talk they had to not go on emails they had to not make those phone calls now Were they doing a little bit of work on their day off? Very possibly. But they couldn't be seen to be doing that. So we had to establish a cultural norm. Now, in due course, of course, they suddenly found that they were more effective as well. Because when you start having respect for other people's time, you know, I'm not going to waste your time if you don't waste mine then suddenly you find that they become better leaders. They're better at empowering, motivating their staff. And one of the great things that comes out of this is the staff are happier. And guess what? Happier staff are easier to manage. I mean, it, it's I keep coming back to this. It's not rocket science. We all know this. I, I'm an ex-naval officer. We used to have a, a saying, a good ship is a happy ship.
1: Yeah, agreed.
2: A good company is a happy company. Agreed, mm,
1: and, yeah. and you know, I mean, I remember a business leader saying to me uh, when um, prior to starting her pilot, she 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 did her actual technical part of her job on the train home and after work, because when she was at work, people were constantly coming to her for validation usually. I mean, you know, they want either want to tell you that they've done something good and they want a pat on the back or they're coming to tell you that there's a problem and they need you to help them sort it out. And what she found was that when, when people in her department knew what they were supposed to be there for, what was their productive outcome, how they fitted in with the team. And they were given the uh, the power to you know do their jobs themselves. She said, oh, no one comes and talks to me anymore because they're actually just getting on with doing their jobs. And she got her job done during office hours. So this is really interesting because you're
0: talking about a couple of uh, really key drivers of workplace wellbeing here. First of all, autonomy. Um, oh. Second of all, trust, and of course, the word that you've both used quite a bit is flexibility. Um, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about how a four-day week complements work flexibility. Um, so you're not talking about rigid nine to five Monday no. to Thursday, you, no. Ach.
1: And look, the the, the, the the businesses that don't make this a success. Uh, in general, have um, a business leader who has been too rigid in terms of how it's going to roll out. So you need to be very flexible, because how you're going to reduce work time in your business might end up being something you weren't expecting. Mm. And so this is where the 180-100 rule uh, uh, is so c- good. And
2: certainly where we, we evolved ours, did yes, in our company. Yeah. So when we did it in the, the beginning, we did have a four-day week. That was what we did. But if you give people something they don't want, they don't value, it doesn't work. Now, that can be another gym membership. It could be, I'll give you some life insurance or whatever it is we often do when we do human resource benefits, right? But what we're giving you now is time. So what we've got to do is give you the time off that's important to you. And so that's where we evolved to, wasn't it? We moved to a, a process where you could take a day or... Couple of half days, or working parents could come in late, go home early, five days a week. Because giving them a day off didn't actually work; they've got to deal with the childcare. So it evolved. That's what works for us. Yeah.
1: Mm. But
2: we're very clear, Charlotte's very clear on when you're talking as well mm. on this. You, you've got to do what works for your business and your people. Well,
1: so I have three criteria on this. It has to be good for the company. It has to be good for the company's customers or key stakeholders and it has to be good for the people. And so, and, and so it's, it's about working out how you make all those three things work. But, I mean, you know, to, to, to some practical examples of what Andrew's talking about. You know, the, the, it, it, the, there is a, a gentleman out there who comes into work at 10 o'clock in the morning every day, so he comes in five days, having walked his daughter to school Aww. five days a week, walks his daughter to school now what father out there doesn't want that so if you so if, if he had a four day week and had I don't know Fridays off then he would be able to do that one day but also as we head into recessionary times and there's all of this cost of living pressure he doesn't have pre, pre, pre um, before school child care costs and if his the child's mother or other parent has the ability to pick that child up from school, then they don't have after-school yeah. costs into the family. So the, so it's materially significant for a family financially if they can do that. But then also then, what are we doing about how we keep that family as a cohesive whole? The children are being raised by their parents, not by others, and so, therefore, we are actually creating a better society. So, and you know, to your point about the Deloitte's information around burnout. So, in the UK, uh, ONS data says that we, we lose seventeen point nine. So, let's face it, nearly eighteen million worker days to workplace stress and burnout. Now, that's a significant drain on the economy. So, not just on the CFO's purse for his business, but actually on our economy. And that's a day that was lost. Now, I'm going to go out, use your phrase, go out on a limb here, but I take a day off because I'm burnt out. How productive was I the day before? And the day before that, and the day before that. And when I return to work, am I 100% productive as soon as I come back? Probably not. So actually, it's economically sensible to focus in on well-being in in, in the workplace, and well-being in our society, because we actually get better businesses. And if we know that one in four of our workforce are suffering from mental health or workplace stress, then twenty-five percent of your workforce are not productive now. Yeah, I could So, so the more. economics are, are, you know, are quite clear. It doesn't. You don't have to be an, a, a, you know, fully trained PhD economist to work out how that's going to work. Yeah, look, I, I couldn't
0: agree more and, and not to mention uh, attrition, right? Um, so mm-hmm. McKinsey Health Institute um, did some research which showed that if you're suffering from burnout, you're six times more likely to want to leave your job, um, but I think the productivity piece is is really interesting. You mentioned Professor jan Emanuel Deneve earlier. Yeah. We actually had him a guest as a guest on a previous podcast, but he has uh, a paper uh, in Management Science where he actually did a study with BT uh, to mm. truly understand. Um, is a happier employee more productive? But actually, quantify it. Um, so the science says that a one standard deviation increase in happiness leads to a twelve percent increase in productivity. Um, yeah. So you know, I mean, it, certainly the business case is there. And, and, and listening to you, the evidence is really yeah. compelling. To be brutally honest, I didn't need a five-year
2: project to work out that healthier people are more <laughs> happier people <the laughs> but, more productive. But, 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 the, science but the science is good helpful yes um, and I think that's one of the key parts of what we do is that the research we do is there because I can stand there until I'm um, shout till I'm blue in the face that this is a good idea the reason we got all the publicity the reason I think that four-day week global has got the traction is actually we worked alongside universities to produce objective research that proves what we already know But you know what, it's quite a a lonely position for a chief exec to say, you know what, I'm going to do this. So what we're really about doing is making it safe for people to experiment because you can point to the research, you can point to all that objective data and say, look, you know, it works. And that means that you can... Mm. You can deal with your board. I mean, I always say I cracked the problem with my board because I just announced I was doing it on national television first. (laughs) And they weren't game enough to, uh, you Um, know, game enough to say we're not going to go along with this. But clearly that doesn't work for a lot of companies. You've got to bring stakeholders on the journey. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's why, you know, you're just running a pilot, right? So that's a less scary thing for a board to agree to. Yeah. Can I ask how many pilots you've run? Because you've run—I mean, is it well, countless? Well, yes. So, so, so we've 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 run pilots in Australasia, Australia, New Zealand. Um, so we've got one running in South Africa at the moment. Portugal. Uh, we've done Ireland, UK, the US, Canada. We've got Brazil starting soon, and a European pilot as well. So we're running in pretty much every market. We've got Asian pilots um, that are going to start this year as well. Um, so. We run, we run them all around. But one of the things that w- when I was doing a bit of a ring around to companies during the pandemic to sort of see how they were going, one of the pieces of um, feedback was it's a bit of a lonely space. You know, I can ring you, Charlotte, I can ring Andrew, and I can Google and see what other companies are doing, and I can give a you know try and get hold of a C, another CEO that's doing it. But what, so one of the things that we've done is we've created a community. So we run uh, we, we, you know, we have a community that CEOs and, and other business leaders can join, and they can share ideas. And when they become part of that and they go, well, I've tried this with my business and it worked this way and I tried it with us, And so it gives them the ability to learn from each other, not just listen to mm. what we tell them. And that gives them the, a, a greater sense of not being alone. I, I think
2: one of the great things about the whole community, though, is it's quite a generous community. I mean, we've worked with thousands of businesses who've reached out. We had a policy right from the get go that we share everything about our original pilot and trial, um, down even down to how we structured contracts and how we got the advice to try and get round the problems of rather prescriptive employment legislation, which is one of the biggest problems you have when you're trying to implement a, a four-day reduced hours week. But the reality is, as a community, people are very generous now with their time. We, we're on the right side of history here, and I think that's part of the strength of the movement, that you see what it does, not just to your business, but to people, yeah. and you want to share that. Yeah. And, and so there's a lot of generosity in the four-day-week movement globally, which is a really nice thing to
1: see. Well, and in the and in the wellbeing movement globally yeah. as well. I mean, the reality is um, sensible employers understand that this is just the only way that you're going to be able to move forward, uh, as, as well as including flexible and, and possibly also remote in your yes. workplace moving forward, you are. Some research came out of um, Otago University in New Zealand that said that um, that uh, working from home didn't suit twenty nine percent of people, and that was the headline. Doesn't suit twenty nine, which means that it suits. <laughs> <laughs> 51% of people. But my, and that was obviously research that came up post-pandemic. But my question to myself when I saw that was, so does that mean that prior to the pandemic, and we, you know, we, we did flexible and remote, that we actually weren't providing our people with the type of workplace that best suits them? Which just the pandemic has highlighted that for us. And one of the things that I you know often say when I when I'm talking um is people lost their lives and their livelihoods with the pandemic. And how are we going to honor that sacrifice if we don't have true proper social change? Agreed. You know, we we they that those what do we learn? if we don't take the lesson and move forward with that. And so I think that's really, it's just really important that we, that we honour them. It's that
2: certainly way. the next part on our journey is when we're looking at the research, we're going to start to move away from uh, productivity in companies because mm. we actually take a view that's broadly been proven now, mm. that we can see that productivity isn't adversely impacted. But there is some good basic data and we're starting to build on that around what's the social impact of actually people having more time? What does that mean about volunteering? What does it mean about family cohesion? What does it mean for education? What does it mean for the environment? I mean, there's a piece of research that says that if the UK went to a four-day week, it would be the equivalent of taking the entire UK private car fleet off the road. Now, think about what that has the potential to do yeah, wow. for the environment. Yeah. What wow. happens to health... If, in fact, the one in four, one in five with mental health, they're the people who are going into the NHS, what does that do to the NHS? What does that do to waiting lists? What does that do to the pressure on our hospitals? If, actually, we have a healthier, happier workforce.
1: Well, yeah. one of the interesting things that came out of, you know, on, the, on the health certificate statistic, statistic um, one of the things that came out of the research was that people got seven hours more sleep a week. Wow. Now you might be sleeping your entire day off, <laughs> but I think not. But we know the health statistics around sleep wow. are significant and material on our our ongoing health and how we cope with cancers and and you know heart attacks and mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. So if and and there was less insomnia, less of these other things that uh, become pressures on people. And so the person that you're bringing to work is somebody who's better. Mm-hmm. Who's arrested. probably also spending
2: a bit more time working out and cooking, which basically means not having high salt takeaway yes. food because they're time poor.
0: I mean, the hypothesis, I guess, here is you're sleeping better, to your point, because you're not lying awake thinking, oh, I have to do this. I have to be up at 6 a.m., etc." cetera. Um, and I, I read a really interesting academic paper, um, but it really struck me because they found that work is one of the hardest desires to resist. Now, what really struck me was the other temptations are things that we know to be addictive, right? Smoking, alcohol, food, but yet work was up there. Mm -hmm. We all know workaholics Mm -hmm. and you've kind of touched on workaholics a little bit earlier on. How has moving to a four-day week Has that helped people who might fall
1: into that slightly addicted to work space to switch off? Yeah, so I often sort of say that people are addicted to activity more than necessarily work. And so one of the things that I encourage businesses to do to feed into this is to actually get people to report in on what they're doing with their extra time. And make sure that they're, they, you know, because these people just want to be acknowledged. So acknowledge what they're doing. And, and the number one thing that people do from our research, the number one thing that people do uh, with the extra time is take up a new hobby. Lovely. They spend it on yeah. hobbies. So they're spending it on themselves or on, on, on something that is, that is useful. So, And that was the Microsoft Japan trial is quite interesting because it was widely reported, no more than five people in a meeting, no meetings more than 30 minutes, and please use Microsoft Teams. And they got this big uptick in productivity. But what wasn't widely reported was they actually asked their people to tell them, and they they actually applied some money to it as well, what are you going to do for your community, what are you going to do for your family, and what are you going to do for yourself and so it's actually about getting people to think outside of themselves. And, you know, and I get people saying to me all the time, oh, but I, you know, I love being at work. Good. But, you know, why don't you love being in society as well? Mm. Yeah.
2: And I think one of the challenges that we've seen post-COVID or during COVID, you know, we have gone to working from home. That's good for a whole part of people. But you're not actually working from home. You're sleeping in the office and so the problem is we've actually seen that the working day often has expanded because it's that temptation mm-hmm. you know we want the activity that that i've got to do that last lot of emails late at night so one of the great things about the reduced hours four day week movement is it starts to put some quite firm barriers mm-hmm. around the amount of time that you spend working
1: and per- because permissions as permission well. permission
2: mm-hmm. not to work Mm. is an is an important part of the process. Because if you don't do that, the temptation is always, to let's do a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And that's why it comes back to the need to have the people at the very top walk the talk. Because otherwise you go, well, I hear all of that, but if I want to get to that job, that role, I really have to just put all the time in.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a good point. Because, you know, one of the things I think, I think, by the way, an awful lot of businesses are really working hard to create a positive culture. Um, But, you know, we have seen where, you know, a business maybe hires, you know, a head of well being and offers these wonderful well being benefits, but there's a disconnect with actually the company culture and social norms. So, you know, what you don't want is people to think, oh, well, I won't really work four days, otherwise I'll get looked mm. over for promotion. So to your point, it really has to cascade from the top and, and everybody needs to walk the talk. Absolutely. Yeah. It's
2: absolutely critical because otherwise it will fail. Yeah. I mean, there is no doubt it will fail if you if you don't have that very firm direction from the top. You're empowering people, but you're also holding the leadership team accountable that their teams have got to be working four days a week. That's a total change. Yeah. But that's really what you've got to do. You're saying, look, if it doesn't work in a pilot program, I'll I'll carry as the CEO the responsibility for the fact that it didn't produce the outcome that I thought it was. But you've got to make sure that you're playing your part, that your team is actually doing it and doing it properly. And if that happens... Actually, the evidence suggests that you get the good results and you get the benefits not just on the human side, but on the output, productivity, profitability side.
1: And look and, and a lot of business leaders find that um, when they cascade down the permissions and, and but the genuine story seems to rest at home. When they pull together how they're going to communicate it to their key stakeholders or clients. When you have to explain it to someone who's not in your organization but is connected to your organization, where you explain why you're doing it. That's when it tends to really cascade down from this, you know, the C-suite who are having to deal with that messaging and the actual people who are delivering it to the client. And then and helping the client. Be okay with the fact that your business isn't necessarily going to be open, or that the service delivery might look different, and so that that tends to be a, a kind of a drop the mic yeah, moment when does. people when, yeah. when the when the penny drops for 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 people when they have to explain it to the outside world.
0: No, it makes a lot of sense. What I'm absolutely loving about this conversation is uh, you mentioned you know the impact of the pandemic earlier, and I suppose honoring, you know, the learnings we've taken from that, I feel that one of the things the pandemic taught us is there's a new type of diversity. So, you know, I'm a big champion of diversity, equity and inclusion. And we talk about gender diversity, um, you know, diversity of ethnicity, experience, sexual orientation but actually there's a diversity of home circumstance. Yeah. So some people live by themselves and it can be lonely. Some people have small children. Some people are caring for elderly relatives. Some people might flat share. And actually that isn't particularly conducive to working from home. And one of the things I've loved about this conversation is it's it's not about the four day week. It's about flexibility. Mm. It's about understanding people's needs and flexing that work culture to suit the needs of many. Would that be fair? Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we don't, we're not, even in our company, 15% of the people at any point in time will work five days a week because they want to. And people work five days a week often because socially that's something that they want to do. All we're saying is we're holding everybody accountable by the same benchmarks. This is the productivity we want. Now, if you want to work five days a week, knock yourself out.
0: But just to clarify (laughs) that, Andrew, so they're working five days a week, but they're working fewer hours on those five days. No, no. you
2: would literally get some people who say, I want to work a conventional
1: 40-hour week. I know, I have I know, no can't idea why I can't but, understand but, it, but, but, you, know, but you, know, the, you can't force
2: people. I think there's, there, is a, there was a wonderful thing that came out of one of the companies and they were doing some research, I think it was Bangladesh, and they were talking about, you know, working less, working from home. And uh, their workforce was predominantly young women and they said, no, thank you, I want to come to the office, come to the business. They said, why? He said, my mother-in-law's at home.
1: You know, there's a cultural so issue. So yeah, your point is, <laughs> is well made you, that, that the modern workplace reflects the, the diversity of circumstance at home. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Look, this is so interesting. I am going to go to
0: what I like to call the rapid fire round. I call yes. this my Aquitia my House round. So, th- so this is rapid fire. First of all, the question that many people will have, do both of you work a four day week?
2: Well, I work a four-day week in all of my businesses.
0: <laughs> <laughs> how many businesses do you have, Andrew? About
2: five or six. So, I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, we're, I'm, we're basically now retired. We've got people who run the businesses, but the thing we're not retired on is this. And so, for example, last night I did a talk for the, uh, a firm in Sydney followed by a, a speech for the ACT, and now I'm here. So, you know... Uh, I've been working all through the night but then changing
1: the world is
0: but are but you going to get but, but your then, 7 then, or 8 hours sleep tonight yes. oh, to oh, and absolutely yeah, absolutely
1: and and look and and mean <laughs> yeah my, my life is just actually having a series of fascinating conversations with interesting people such as yourself um, and we don't we, we don't have a standard go to the office work a role type thing so but we wouldn't work more than 20 hours a week no I agree okay so you don't you don't tend to work it, more than 20 you, hours a, a week if we're defining that this is that, so that what we're doing here that, yeah. that if we're defining that even this is work yeah yeah we, we wouldn't so I mean tomorrow we've got other things we're going to do head off to London yeah. British Museum oh. lovely yeah a few things like that yeah wonderful you're going, you're, you're going to Bisley on Friday yeah. you know so it's yeah yeah, yeah. Um, okay, it was rapid
0: fire. So to so the next you know. question. Now, I like to ask people how you're doing, and you know, one of the things actually that really, um, really Aristotle would have said that the, the goal of life is what he called eudaimonia, right? Which is, which is purpose driven happiness, purpose driven well being. And listening to both of you, my goodness, what you do for a living is so purpose driven. But how the academics like to measure well being, instead of saying how are you. They'll say, on a scale of one to 10, how would you rate your life satisfaction nowadays? Can I go to you first, Charlotte?
1: Oh, I, I would put myself at, a, at probably a nine or a 10. I mean, I, I, I'm very blessed. We have an environment where we are not financially challenged. Uh, so we are able to take on this job. I call it a job, this passion project. Uh, to help change the world. And so we have a fairly unique opportunity to be able to do that. Um, I am probably more of a 9 than a 10 just because, for, for, and it's not something that I, that I have as a secret, I've got metastatic breast cancer. So there's a part of me that knows that I've got a more limited time on this earth, and that sits in my head from, from time to time. But I also have a true mission. So I know that when I get to the end of what will be my now shortened life, I will have had a chance to truly achieve something. And that is some, that makes the journey that I'm on with my health um, all the more accepting because I can do that.
0: Sure I And I, I didn't know that. And thank you so much for sharing. And I'm so sorry to hear that you're going through that, but... I'm bowled over by your positivity and how you're 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 dealing with what you're going through you're you're an absolute inspiration Charlotte so oh, thank, thank you me. so much do you mind if I ask a follow-up question sure. which is how do you uh, what are your tips for your own well-being how
1: do you look, <laughs> look after yourself and I'm going to ask the same question to Andrew I have to listen to him every now and then, um, and he says to me, you're doing too much. Um, so, I, you know, I, you have to let people in, and you have to. The reason why I share what I'm going through is because it, it makes me accountable to others, and so if I start to take on too much, this man here is the first one to point it out. My children, my mother, you know, people around me. So then it means that also that when uh, when I am tired or when I am feeling like I've stretched myself, that I can just say to people, "Look, I'm sorry, I have to take a step back uh, for a, for a period of time." And so um, that is the the thing. But yes, <laughs> you're. <laughs> I, I I am. Um, I'm one of these people that likes to go um, health leather with anything so having an accountability partner (laughs) having an accountability partner I think is good oh yes (laughs) to be fair (laughs) I'm your accountability (laughs) partner
0: (laughs) so what are your tips then Andrew how do you switch off how do you look after your well-being
2: well, this is one of the great things about this. This is about just literally making time for other things, working out what's more important. Now, I'm prioritising, you know, my family, my children, uh, my health, because, you know, I've had a life where I've had people have nervous breakdowns in front of me because of the pressure of the work that they're in. Um, And I know a couple of times I've come very close to the line. And... I don't want that for me. I don't want it for my kids. So, if I, I've got to walk the talk here, right? You know, we 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 have to walk the talk, which is you've got to work out what's more important. So, you know, I'd put myself down as a as a nine or ten on on the scale because you just don't get many chances to change the world for the better. You know, I, I, we're not an Elon Musk or a Jack Ma with a. Nine, nine, six. Nine, nine, six or 100 hours. You can keep that. What we want is to make life better for everyone. Everybody in the world, they want to, you know, bring up their kids. They want a decent standard of living. They want basic levels of security. They want a good life. What this is about is actually sharing the benefits of the more productive society and making life better. And I personally... Can't think of a better epitaph.
0: I mean, what an incredible place to finish this interview, (laughs) to be honest, making life better. Hashtag better for everyone. Hashtag better for everyone. I particularly like that that came from your Irish pilot, Charlotte. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It has been wonderful speaking to both of you. You are change makers, you are innovators, and you are an utter inspiration. Um, So thank you so much.